Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Welcome back to the show. My name is Elton Brobe, and Parliament is in session, and the drama never stops. Now, there was a near physical between the Asim North Member of Parliament, Kennedy Ohina Japan, and his colleague Botiano, a man from MP Service Amensam. And this happened on the floor of the House whilst proceeding was happening. It took Deputy Majority Leader Alexander Fenyomarkin to take Sylvester Tete out of the chamber with Sylvester Tete whilst Japan returned to his seat. Well, we do understand that the two men have smoked the peace pipe, but their actions definitely disturbed the business of the House. We'll be speaking to Dr. Draman on how to pretend, prevent future conflicts in the House. Right now, though, let's bring in Kwaku Asante, who is a parliamentary correspondent, as he joins us for the very latest on this matter. Kwaku, you're welcome to the post. Right, so we'll bring in Kokua Santu, who is a parliamentary correspondent this afternoon. Uh, at midday, we had the news of some near fights on the floor of parliament between the member of parliament for Asen North and, of course, his colleague also on the MPP side, Botiano English, among from. Let's understand what really happened. And further, further to that, there's been a development. Kokua Santu is a parliamentary correspondent and is live with me here on the post. Kokua, you're welcome. 
Yes, Elton, thank you. It was, it was an interesting scene in the house today, and as we broke that news on the midday news, we understand some pieces have been made, but we'll get to that shortly. As of now, we've not been able to get a word from either MPs to be able to understand what exactly might have triggered that, that confrontation in the house today. But in terms of the blow-by-blow account of what exactly happened, you will see that um, the, the MP for Botano English, had come up to the leadership of the house to try and have some conversation with them in terms of what exactly the house business was ongoing. Just when he was exiting the floor of the house, Kennedy Japan was also entering. Kennedy Japan then accosted him right in the middle of the chamber, and there were some exchange of words there. It was a little bit inaudible. We, we, we did not understand at the time what exactly that exchange was about. The two MPs had it at a go for almost 10 seconds, whilst business was still ongoing on the floor of the house. It was then that the deputy majority leader, Alexander Benio Market, sensing that that confrontation between the two MPP MPs could degenerate into something else, actually went in between the middle of the two persons. At the time, he did not try at all to try and speak to any of them to try and understand anything. All he wanted to do was to try and at least break the fight that had come between the two majority MPs. So he escorted the Botiano English amount from MPs out of the floor of the house was there with him for a while. We understand he had conversations with him. Then Kennedy Japan came to his seat, came to sit down, sat down for a while. MP for Kaiku Central, Patrick Obama went to him, had a conversation with him to try and calm him down. He was still a little bit fairly agitated. He was still exchanging words. He was he was speaking at the top of his voice. We could hear we could hear from, from, from the press gallery what exactly he was saying, talking about who are you? Who do you think you are? You this small boy, you know that kind of thing. That language that Kennedy Japan will normally use on on, on, on other police officers. Mm. So it went on for a while until he was calmed. He later on got out of the chamber, went to his car, left the chamber, left the presence of parliament. We understand later on he came in, and as we've been able to confirm now, to to sort of have a conversation with the leadership of the house in terms of what exactly might have happened. All right, so let's let's understand what may have triggered this near fight that you know uh, took place on the floor of parliament now these are honorable men and for some they behave dishonorably what was the trigger well Alton, we have not been able to speak to any of the two gentlemen to in fact get the official um, um understanding of what might have triggered that but we've been picking signals the, the understanding is that it has to do with some monetary issue something about debt Mm. And that created Japan uh, feels like um, Silverstar, uh, Silverstar owes him some amount of money. So he confronts him. But you know, these two persons are not the best of friends. Silverstar did not support Kennedy Japan, the leader up to then, but presidential primaries and all that. So that is public record. He supported Alan Martin later on by the former the, the vice president, Mahmoud Bamiya. So we understand it has to do with some money issues that he confronted like Silverstar about demanding that, that amount of money paid. And Sylvester is said to have retorted that if you say I owe you, then you have to go to court. It's not, it's not in the middle of parliament that you have to come to me and come and demand a certain amount of money from me. And that angered Kennedy Japan, who, as we know, is, uh, is, a show, is a show person, said that he was not going to have any of that. So that back and forth, that exchange of words between the two MPs nearly, nearly brought parliamentary proceedings to a halt. Because at the time, the MP for uh, Asopa was on her feet, delivering a statement and that exchange of words were just going on right in the middle there. The, the, the thing, although, was that this did not come up for discussion on the floor. The first deputy speaker was presiding. He was clearly seeing what was going on. Mm. Did not speak to the microphone in terms of what was happening. 
no minority or majority MP also spoke in the microphone on the floor of the house in terms of what exactly was happening. So the two MPs had to go at each other. Alexander Fenomakin managed to separate them, walked out of Tete, as you can see in your video, and then the MP for our same center, Kennedy Pond, took his seat. He had some senior NDP MPs come to him to talk to him, mm. and then the situation was calm at least on the floor of the house. So, so, so basically, because the microphone did not pick the exchanges that took place between Honorable Kennedy Japon and his colleague Debotiano Amam from MP, it is safe to assume that it will not be captured on the official record of Parliament. And as far as the official record is concerned, nothing of that nature took place on the floor. Exactly. Elton, being a, a, a very senior parliamentary reporter like yourself, you know that when it doesn't go on the record, when nobody speaks on the microphone, it is almost as though it can't happen. And in fact, as far as the official records of Parliament is concerned, that did not happen because nobody has raised it on the floor. Maybe in the coming days, tomorrow or some other day, somebody may be tempted to raise it and then it will be introduced into the record. Mm. But as of today, if you pick the, the vote and proceeding that we, that we brought tomorrow or the official records, it will not be reported that clearly Japan and Silver Saturday, or for that matter, any MP had any obligation on the floor of the house because this did not go on the record. And so, of course, people have even been raising concerns to the public about this disorderly conduct that brings their reputation of parliament into disrepute, and hence there might be questions at the Privileges Committee to be answered. But as far as this is concerned, this is not something that is going to happen because the official records will not capture this, and nobody has so far raised this issue of it. Nevertheless, this constitutes misconduct on the part of the MP. Even when these matters have happened outside the corridors of Parliament, sometimes they, they, they have found themselves before the Privileges Committee for, for, for some kind of investigation. And, yeah. and, you know, so I don't know whether the MPs, members of Parliament who were on the floor, whether you've been engaging them and what they make of this, and if anybody is thinking of you know, alerting the Speaker for some action to be taken on this matter. But I'll tell you, MPs normally take care in fact, this is something that we expected that he did not be about we are losing you. I don't know if we can reposition yourself so we can have a better connection. We are losing you along the line. I don't. Can, can, can you hear me now? Okay, can you hear me? It's better now. So, so, so you can proceed on that. On that point, right. So, like I was saying, there were a number of NDCMPs on the floor who we thought we're going to we're going to at least comment on this matter. None of them are willing to come forward and speak to the record. Of course, some of them are willing to provide you information in terms of what exactly might have happened, but to speak to the record to talk about what is clearly a disorderly conduct by the members of Parliament mm. and whether or not they will be willing to take this up with a speaker of Parliament for a referral to be made, no one is willing to come forward. Of course. This is not to say that no one may change their mind or other persons who've seen this may decide to, to take some action on that. But at least the persons we approached so far who were on the floor of the house when this happened, especially on the NDC side, are not even willing to, to speak to the record on this house. And then further on, so that there's been a development on this matter. What can you tell us? Yes, uh, the majority leadership have really moved in swiftly to, to deal with this rancor. It was Alexander Fenyo Market who broke out the fight between the two in the middle to prevent his MPs from throwing hands at each other. As soon as the House adjourned, he had calls to call these two men to his office. We were trying as hard to get in there. We were not allowed to go to the private meeting that the majority leadership wanted to discuss. 
Thank you very much on this call. So basically, as far as uh, this this fight is concerned, the matter is done and dusted. The majority side see it fit to bring finality to this matter. But let's stay a little longer in Parliament because already there's also some uneasiness in the majority side. There's been rumours about a possible ministerial reshuffle that may even affect the leadership of Parliament. You are in a house, and I know that this uh, this morning some members are unclear especially those who are ministers and seven MPs, they are unclear about their fate. Tell us more about this. Well, Elton, this week, early this week, you, you broke that news. And in fact, last week also, you broke the news about an impending reshuffle of seven senior ministers. This has also come up quite significantly because this is the first time Parliament is sitting since that news came up. And it's been a big something that a lot of MPs have been talking about, especially on the minority and majority side. Right. Of course, minority MPs have always said that a reshuffle has been long overdue. The president needs to change his government. The majority, the, min- the minority leaders have already made that insistence. But the understanding we've been getting from certain sources within the majority is that certain communication have come that that eminent reshuffle is going to come. We expect that, of course, the majority leader may be moved to foreign affairs, and that may mean that the majority leadership, the front bench, would mm-hmm. have to be would have to be or, 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 or would have to be rejected as as, right. as it were. But in fact. The, the concern is that every sitting MP who lost his primary is going or had issues in the primary is going to be changed. It's, it's, so if you are a sitting MP and you are a minister or a deputy minister and you 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 did not win your parliamentary primaries, you you are not going to be retained as as a minister. Those are some of the concerns that have been shared, and the the, the, the expectation is that by the by the end of this week, the president would have written to the Speaker of Parliament communicating the decision to conduct this racial poll in the house and so that 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 has been such a big conversation with a lot of sitting mps who are ministers or deputies who lost have their, their parliamentary primaries really really living in fear that they are going to lose their jobs as either ministers or deputies there are so many of them there is the deputy there's the minister for gender uh, who, who lost the, the parliamentary primaries all and right. all that so those are the conversations that have come up in the, on the floor yes i'm going to bring in dr rashid draman he's a parliamentary watcher as we explore what took place on the floor this month. But, but, but before I let you go, I mean, this matter about cabinet reshuffle has been, uh, been on the books for a, for a while. And last week, Friday, we broke it that there had been a meeting at the Jubilee House. The president was getting ready to release a statement uh, over the weekend. It didn't happen. Now, the information we are picking is that the president is likely to travel out of town tomorrow. And by the time he leaves, you will forward a formal communication to the Speaker of Parliament to announce the reshuffle. Now, this is what we are picking 
from our sources at the Jubilee House and, of course, from people we've spoken to. It, what we have picked is that the president has, in a formal communication, invited those who will be leaving government, and there's been that kind of a conversation. And for that reason, they are aware of what is to come. This is not going to be, this is not going to take them by surprise. And the names we are picking, for example, we do understand that the Minister of Interior, Ambusdari, will, will be leaving government. His place will be taken by the Greater Accra Regional Minister, Henry Quarter. We also do understand that the Rose Minister has already formally told the President that he needs to take care of some health issues, and for that reason, he will not be able to continue. And for that reason, there's that kind of understanding. So for the Rose Minister, he will, uh, the Member of Parliament for Atua West, he will also be exiting government, but will still be in Parliament as Member of Parliament for Atua West. His place, for what we pick, will be taken by the Minister for Works and Housing, a Member of Parliament for Bantam and the Ashanti Region, Francis Asenso Boache. Uh, he will be moving from the Western Housing Ministry to the Rose Ministry. Now, he will, he will be replaced at the Western Housing Ministry by the Member of Parliament for Ofuasia. He will be a Minister for Information, whom we are told will be moving from the Information Ministry to the Works and Housing Ministry. Now, what becomes of the Information Ministry? The information we have picked this afternoon is that the Member of Parliament for Butiano English, among from Sevesateta, who was at the take of affairs this morning in Parliament, will be heading to the Information Ministry as a substantive minister. I will bring you more names as we progress on the pause. But, Kwaku, thank you very much. Let me bring in Dr. Rashid Raman. Uh, Dr. Raman, it's good to have you here on the pause. Good afternoon. Afternoon. And it's been a while. Let me say Happy New yes. Year. Happy New Year to you. Right. So, I mean, you, you've watched Parliament for years. And we thought we've matured in a democratic, in a parliamentary democracy. So when you see these scenes on the floor, what business is ongoing, two members of parliament on the same side will get at each other. I mean, how does that make you feel as a parliamentary watcher? Well, I mean, it makes me feel, uh, Elton, that we are rolling the clock, the clock back. Uh, this is an institution that is teaching all of us to resolve our differences through the laws that they pass. Uh, there is no space in the law for using fiscal force to resolve any differences. Uh, you know, whatever happens on the floor of the house today is being watched by millions of our compatriots. Uh, to see people that we hold in high esteem as honorable members, uh, maybe putting up uh, kind of scenes that people might interpret as not... Uh, in consonance with their title, uh, honorable, I think becomes quite disturbing. Mm. So clearly, I do not expect the rules and proceedings of today to capture this incident. Neither do I expect the official report of today to capture this incident because, from what we've been told, the microphone was off, so whatever was said was not said on record. But how do we deal with this going? Forward? I know there is a new standard order. You worked on it. How do we deal with this matter going? No, forward? honestly, Elton, I think. Parliament has to sit up because, I mean, the standing orders before were not fit for purpose. Mm. Uh, we have this new one, and I mean, I hope that, you know, the impression that many Ghanaians have of the Privileges Committee, that it is a committee that has failed to, to do what it ought to do in terms of making sure sanctions are meted out uh, to their own. You know, uh, this new standing orders uh, have, I mean, hopefully better provisions mm. that can deal with this, and this is a test case. So let's let's wait and see. 
uh, otherwise, hey, you know, if we keep changing orders and changing the rules, yet, I mean, we are not able to do what is right to change the situation. Uh, parliament might become a laughing stock. The majority, the deputy majority leader, Alexander Fenyamarkin, who uh, got the two men to uh, to resolve their differences, say that this is an internal matter and that should end. Should that be the end of this matter? No, it's not an internal matter. I think they shouldn't trivialize this. There's no way that this is an internal matter, Elton. Mm. These are representatives that we voted for, we hired, you know, to, to, to represent us. You know, so, I mean, honestly, this is not an internal matter. It's not. So, so, so what do you expect? You expect a member of parliament to formally draw the speaker's attention to for some, for, for some kind of referral to be done on this matter? Yes, I think so. Uh, yeah. But again, how should our members of parliament hold themselves? I mean, this, this eighth parliament has been one, one parliament that's recorded so many physical... Yeah, it started, you know, it started on this note. I mean, the chewing of the ballot and so on. We don't want it to end on this same note. Mm. Particularly because they have taken action to do what most speakers have not been able to do, to change the standing order. I mean, let's make sure that this opens a fresh page mm. and, uh, and start a, a beginning for, for the, the final stage of this parliament and, I mean, the future legislatures that we are going to see. All right. Uh, right, uh, Doctor, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us on this very important matter. And let me stay a little longer in Parliament. And I was, I was telling you about what we have picked regarding this imminent uh, ministerial reshuffle. And it's just not going to be about the ministers of state. What we have picked is that it may extend to the leadership of Parliament because the rumor has it that the majority leader, member of Parliament for Swam in the Asante region, who would not be coming to the ninth Parliament, um, the rumor is that he may be moved to the Foreign Affairs uh, Ministry because the substantive minister has indicated her ambition to occupy the position of the Secretary General of the Commonwealth Organization. And that means that she will have, uh, she will have to now concentrate more on campaigning across the world for election to that very high-profile office. And that means that the Foreign Ministry will have to require someone who will dedicate uh, his or her full attention to the running of that ministry. And for me, you are picking it up. The, uh, the majority leader of the is so most likely to be named as a new foreign minister. And if that happens, then that vacancy in parliament will have to be filled. And that is how come the leadership of parliament will also undergo some kind of a, a reshuffle. We are taking information that Alexander Fenyamarkin, a member of parliament for Futu in the central region, may be moved to occupy the position of majority leader in Ghana's parliament. Now, uh, uh, Lydia Seram Al Hassan, the deputy whip, we are picking information has also been nominated as a deputy minister. It's unclear which ministry she will be heading to. The other names we are picking include the member of parliament for Menchamnov. Uh, he's also been penciled for a deputy ministerial position. Also, uh, the. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Hey, doctor, are you a free uh, as a deputy minister for health? And, uh, but the, 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 the current minister of health, while we are picking, may also leave government. And his position will be taken by the chief executive officer of the National Health Insurance Authority, uh, Dr. Bernard Okoboy, uh, be nominated for the position of uh, min, uh, health minister. So these are the names we are picking. Uh, hopefully tomorrow that list will come out. There will be form, formal communication to the Speaker of Parliament, and then uh, we'll do all the analysis that we can do. But let's stay in Parliament, because 17 years after the sale of Western Telesystem, Westel, government is yet to pay the Ghana National Petroleum Corporation over $23 million dollars of its shares held in the company. And the government sold 75% of its shares in the then Seltel International to Westel in 2007 at an amount of $120 million. The telecommunication company was later acquired by Zane Group in 2010. Appearing before the Public Accounts Committee today, management of GMPC review, they are yet to receive their share of the sales from government. James Avajib is at the Public Accounts Committee and joins us uh, with details. Now, James, uh, tell us more. It came out that this $23 million is just a portion of a long-term debt the government of Ghana and our agencies owe the Ghana National Petroleum Corporation. Right, so, so, so we are trying to establish contact with our correspondent who is covering, uh, covering the, uh, the Public Accounts Committee hearing, and the news is that there has been some kind of indebtedness regarding the sale of uh, uh, West Tail uh, in, in the country. Now, it came out that this $23 million is just a portion of long-term debt the government of Ghana and other agencies owe the GMPC. Tell us more about this, James. Yes, Elton. So uh, that's what uh, the revelation has been today at the Public Account Committee. So the total money owed by the government of Ghana and the other agencies amounted to some 215,777,000 plus U.S. dollars. And this money, we are told in the Auditor General's report, are monies 
debts that have been long-standing, uh, some over a decade-old debt uh, owed by the central government as well as the other agencies to uh, the Ghana National Petroleum Corporation. Now, the breakdown of it is this. Uh, the GOG itself uh, owes some 23,217,000 Ghana cities uh, in 2019. Uh, this is 2019 because uh, the Auditor General, uh, I mean officials of the Auditor General who were at the committee explains that, uh, in fact, the total amount was captured properly uh, starting from the 2019 Auditor General's report. Oh. Now, the detail is that this 23 billion, as you indicated earlier, uh, was the GNPC's share it was holding on behalf of the government of Ghana in uh, Westel at the time. Oh. Uh, we know that that company was sold and in 2007, and then it was later acquired again by Zane Group. Now, the total share in that uh, company at the time, uh, when the government sold the 75% of its share, amounted to some $120 million. A part of that was supposed $23 million was supposed to be remitted to GNPC at the time. But as we speak, GMPC says that they have not been able uh, to receive this money from government 17 years on when the company was sold to uh, Zane, later became Ethel, and now Ethel Tigo, which is still uh, going to be sold to another company in uh, uh, some months to come. And so that was the issue. Now, the other agencies who were owing the GMPC oh. Uh, include the Ministry of Finance itself, which owed the GMPC some $55 million. Uh, that uh, money, they paid part, uh, about some $5 million out of it, and uh, the Finance Ministry still owes them some $50 million. Uh, the Tema Oil Refinery, uh, uh, one of the uh, companies, uh, on the liability books of the government of Ghana, also owes the GMPC some 58 million US dollars oh. over time. They have also not been able to pay even a dollar out of this 58 million dollars. Another company is the Ghana National Gas Limited, uh, which also owes the GMPC some 78 million US dollars. All of this uh, add up to some 215.7 million US dollars. Part of that, uh, the uh, uh, finance uh, ministry actually paid some 5 million out of that. And so what is outstanding now mm. from the central government as well as the other agencies amount to some 208 million US dollars. This is what uh, the chairman of the committee, James Kluchia-Beji, has been uh, advising, if you would like, the uh, GNPC to actually go ahead and force government to take this money. Because if you look at the Auditor General's report, it says that, especially in the times when the GNPC is trying to do some oil exploration on behalf of government, this money would go a long way to aid their activities uh, in the exploration activities they are trying to undertake on behalf of government. Elton. So, so, James, there was also the concern over a $29.5 million disbursement from the Petroleum Holding Fund. How did the GMPC explain this payment to the committee? 
exactly, uh, Elton. So these monies, uh, from the explanation from the GMPC, are actually the cost incurred by the GMPC when government decided to abrogate the take-or-pay agreement with the power producers. You remember that uh, starting from 2021-2022, government uh, started renegotiations with the power producers uh, to actually abrogate the take-or-pay agreement that have been entered with most of the independent power producers uh, uh, because of the cost that it comes with. Now, uh, in the Auditor General's report, they indicated that uh, between 2021-2022, the GMPC actually uh, did what they captured as uh, some unclassified disbursement from the petroleum holding fund. Mm. Now, the explanation from the GMPC is that at the time government decided to uh, abrogate this take-or-pay uh, contract, the, most of the power generators had already incurred the cost of this power production. And so, per the agreement, they cannot uh, refuse to pay this money. Mm. Uh, and so, they paid this $29 million to three separate uh, companies, including uh, the Jubilee Crude uh, Revenue, which uh, was paid some $11.8 million, 10 uh, crude also was paid some $10.5 million, and then Sankofa uh, mm. also was paid some uh, $7.27 million, all of this uh, totaling the $29.5 uh, million the GMPC had paid to these three uh, generators. It brought some concern, actually, uh, from the uh, chairman of the committee who uh, complained about the fact that uh, uh, this is new to him because he thought that when this uh, take or pay uh, was abrogated, there was no cause actually from it. In fact, he said that when you monitor government communication on this issue, there was no picture painted about any form of cost to government, but rather uh, to redeem revenue government pays to these companies without power uh, being used. And so he complained about this. and. Uh, uh, the indication from GMPC is that moving forward, uh, this issue has been completely resolved. And so, apart from this 29 million US dollars, uh, they haven't paid any money uh, resulting from this take or pay uh, uh, contract abrogation, Elton. And then also, one of the big elephants was also in the room the electricity company of Ghana. And they've also been explaining why they made so much like, over a billion Ghana cities. How did they justify it? So this money was actually a contract they had entered with various companies. Now, the Auditor General's report uh, mm -hmm. indicated that this contract they entered with, with the various companies, these companies they entered the contract with, were not VAT-paying companies, or uh, as part of the contract, they didn't uh, uh, remit uh, the total of uh, 275,000 Ghana cities as VAT to the Ghana Revenue Authority. Now, the explanation of the, uh, in fact, the recommendation from the uh, Auditor General's Department was that uh, this cannot happen. Uh, first was the fact that if they want to go into contract, first is to make sure that these companies are VAT-paying companies before they go into it per the PPA arrangement. 
And so the violation of this cannot be justified. The recommendation is that they go back to all of these companies mm -hmm. and get VAT receipt of uh, totaling the 275,000 Ghana cities and pay same to the account of the Ghana Revenue Authority of this contract undertaken between 2021 and 2022. Now, as we speak, as the ECG appeared before the committee today, uh, they indicated that they have so far been unsuccessful in getting the companies to remit these monies to the uh, GRA, but they gave the indication that they are still uh, progressing in getting them to do so. Uh, the chairman of the company was of the view th uh, of, of the public accounts committee uh, was of the view that uh, this cannot be the case and so uh, the managers of the ECG uh, led by the managing director Samuel Dubik Mahama take steps to get the companies to pay the money to GRE within two weeks if in two weeks they are not able to resolve this issue uh, the managing director as well as the finance officer of ECG uh, uh, at the headquarters would have to pay this money from their individual pocket. Another uh, uh, infraction was coming from the Volta regional headquarters of the ECG where they made some uh, petty payments that was not covered with a payment vouchers amounting to some 62,000 Ghana cities. Uh, the uh, Public Account Committee also directed that either uh, uh, in accordance with the Auditor General's recommendation, either they get payment vouchers to support this expenditure in two weeks or uh, the ECG uh, also pays him, putting the two together amounting to some uh, over uh, 300,000 Ghana cities. And so that's what the ECG may be paying in two weeks if they fail to one, get VAT justification and paying same to the pocket of the GRE or uh, get payment vouchers to support uh, the voter regional expenditure of some 62,000 Ghana cities. Right, James, before I let you go, obviously I'm sure some public interest questions came up. Uh, what, 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 what are some of them? Exactly. And uh, those were uh, some lighter notes on the committee. For instance, uh, the, uh, uh, the, I mean, the CEO of uh, the uh, Honorable Kofi Jamesi, who is the CEO of uh, the, one of the agencies, uh, uh, the appears that's to be more than 64 years. You remember the issue about uh, the chief director of the Ghana Revenue uh, Authority, uh, last two weeks when he appeared before the committee, there were concerns about his age, his over age by working without contract and all of that. Uh, yes, Honorable Kofi Jamesi accepted that uh, he is currently 64 years old and uh, there was a question as, as to whether he's working on contract or not and uh, he actually admitted that he has a contract with uh, the government which should be expiring in uh, 2025 20, uh, September. And uh, the committee actually uh, makes some lighter moment out of that. Uh, there was also the issue about the Ghana Gas Company, which the committee picked up that uh, they are in due process to be actually be acquired by uh, the National Gas Company because uh, the cylinder manufacturing uh, company actually uh, 
and uh, there were questions as to why they had to be swallowed by uh, the Ghana Gas Company just a few weeks after they were established to undertake the cylinder recirculation uh, module, which is finding it very difficult to uh, actually be productive in this few weeks. The chairman raised questions about uh, some over one million Ghana. In fact, he said millions of cities of procurement, of sole source procurement, that came out last year under uh, the chief director, uh, Frances Essien, which was referred to the uh, uh, attorney general for uh, prosecution. He asked uh, uh, whether anything has been done about that. They said no, the attorney general hasn't taken any step uh, to prosecute the uh, former uh, chief director, Frances Essien. Uh, the chairman actually blamed Parliament for not taking up. In fact, the uh, 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 committee, uh, 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 the team that was supposed to refer this issue to the Attorney General for not doing their work, but promised to take that up in the interest of the public for all of these things to be regularized or those who will be found guilty to pay the money to uh, the government or uh, stand some prosecution in that instance. So those were a few uh, public interest uh, questions with regards to the age of Honorable Kofi Jamesi and the issue about Francis Essien, who was the former DG of the Ghana Gas uh, uh, Cylinder Recirculation uh, uh, Company. Well, thank you very much, James Aveji, uh, from the Public Accounts Committee sitting uh, in Parliament. They are looking at the audited accounts of the Auditor General. And in subsequent bulletins, we'll have more to talk about on this matter. But let's say a little longer on matters relating to electricity because the ECG has attributed recent power cuts in the Asante region to what it terms the restoration of redundancy in power distribution. Parts of the region have in the past few days experienced intermittent power outages with some areas plunged into darkness for nearly 12 hours. This situation is adversely impacting on some businesses and livelihoods. But the Asante region's south business unit of ECG is assuring the country is not back to the heavy load shedding since Friday, major parts of the Ashanti region, especially the regional capital, Kumasi, have been experiencing intermittent power cuts. The development over the weekend left some residents perturbed. Some residents who spoke to Joy News expressed their worry about the intermittent power cuts and its impact on their businesses. It has been worse. It has been worse for me, especially my work, because I do put my things in the fridge before I realize it's, it, has, it will get spoiled. So the doing so is not easy for us. These days, especially those who are sewing the same dresses, they are also suffering a lot. My fish, my sausage, my stew, and my vegetables because the heat, they cannot contain it. Especially this month, it has been worse. The war of this week, it's continuous. Even this pastor who is preaching over there, since last year, has not been able to preach because of light out. He will come and go back. He will be here about 5.30. Then he will not be able to preach. He will pack his speakers and go out the recent power cut has been affecting my business. I could not even open my shop due to the power cut yesterday. Government must do something about this. Many three days. Many me money in some form. I want to know what 
Omudum light twelve o'clock on any three days. Oma so amadi achiwe. Three days ago, I slept without light. My children and I slept outside the house. The issue is worrying. We do not know why we have to sleep in darkness without any Governments but the Ashanti South ECG general manager, engineer Frederick Kwabinabidiakon, says the issues are internal and not from Rico or their power generators. But then again, we would also want to disabuse everybody's minds of the fact that these are not um, issues that are coming from either Gridco or any generational shortfall. These are internal ECG issues that are duly being um, responded to. You may not have received a statement from us, primarily because as engineers, uh, we sometimes want to solve the problem first before we go out there talking, uh, because it's our response. Because in the heat of the moment, the main thing is that you have to restore power to your cherished customers or manage the situation that you find yourself. The company says it is putting in place measures to ensure stable electricity. However, it will take time. You know, so um, it is. It is. It was quite an unpleasant situation for us uh, managing a situation like that. But cable faults do happen. There are ambient conditions that may happen. It's even heat because they are buried in the ground. Even heat. Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC can cause all of these things. Ingress of moisture can, you know, affect that. And most of these cables also have have had some joints that haven't already been prepared some time past that could also affect them um, in the event that uh, you know you know now now the temperature is quite um, high. So that it's, yeah the temperature is quite high and, and it means that there's a lot of cooling effect from our ACs and all that. It means power consumption or the capacity has also gone up. All of these things can cause a lot of uh, a lot of damages within the system. So um, he would continue with that. We may come back to the way forward and all that, and, mm. and we'll see how best we can attempt to um, solve the situation. Photo news. Nana Bwachitankwe Yadom, Kumasim. This is a pause with me, Elton Brobe. Now let's move to some other stories now. And government has launched a new initiative aimed at building a strong network of highly literate communities across the country where no child is left behind and every citizen is empowered to make a meaningful contribution to the social economic transformation of the country. Shortly, I have an official of the ministry in the studio to help us get a better understanding of this initiative. Right now, though, a report capturing the launch in Mamfe in the Asian region. 
Oktaya Ose Dichum at Manfe in the Kuapen South District of the Eastern Region. The SEP program would ensure 90% of basic four pupils aged 10 attain foundational competences in literacy, numeracy, and social-emotional development. It will also ensure that at least 90% of junior high school students pass and transition into senior high school, while 90% of senior high school students pass and transition into tertiary. Education Minister Dr. Yawase Duchum explained that under the program, chiefs would play a critical role in ensuring improvement in learning outcomes by providing accommodation and other support for teachers and education providers. The World Bank has something called learning poverty. They measure the proficiency of students in reading by age 10, which coincide with primary 4. Around the world, various countries are struggling. About 87% of children in developing countries cannot read. We want to make sure that every child will read in Ghana by primary 4. So we have begun the process of supporting teachers, uh, bringing in literacy coaches. The goal of this project is to ensure that 90% of our children by primary 4 will be able to read. Right, so Aaron Chumakwabwa, Director of Strategy and Innovation and also Technical Advisor to the Education Minister, is here to sh share more light on this very important matter. Aaron, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. So it's Communities of Excellence. Yes, please. What is this about? What is it about? <laughs> so I will start with the why, the rationale. Right. And as you heard uh, my able minister, the, <clears throat> the Honorable Dr. Yao Seduchu mentioned, that we have a crisis of literacy across the world. Mm -hmm. The World Bank says developing countries like Ghana are at about 87% learning poverty, meaning that young men and women cannot read by the age of 10 or class 4. Mm -hmm. If you compare that to the whole world average, is 53%. So the developing world is behind, Ghana's behind. With that being said, if you see a problem, you must go out there and do something major to mm -hmm. attempt to fix it. And so our thinking process is this. Why not focus in on literacy? Because the ability to read and understand is what's going to allow you to do all other subjects, number one. Number two, we're looking at the old ad adage, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. So we're using our villages and our communities to teach our children to read and to focus in from the community level so that the children can see education as something that's part of what they do. Mm -hmm and that the schools and communities will work in partnership as they used to do in the past. Looks like you want to ask another question. Yeah, because I want to find out why the, the reading habit has become a challenge. So I think it's probably it's always been, right? And mm. so, in fact, if we look at some data, we have some data from something called the EGRA, Early Grade Reading Assessment from uh, 2015. And I was appalled when I looked at that data where it said that only about less than 5% of Ghanaian students in class 2 can read and write. Less than 5%. At best 2015, mm. EGRA. So we always have this challenge. Mm -hmm. And so we're using data to uncover our challenges to do something about it because we can always talk about we have all these graduates. Mm -hmm. We have all these people in Ghana and Ghanaians across the world who are doing wonderful things in education, which is true, mm -hmm. but the core Ghanaian student was struggling to read. And so I just want to say one more point about the data. Right. So when you look at the comparison of EGRA in 2015, under 5%, and then you look at the English proficiency rate of class 2 students on the NST 2021, which was 54%. There's been a huge growth. Right. 
in, in, in those last uh, 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 six or seven years yeah. to, so that we have been seeing the uh, issues with our literacy and we're attacking it in different ways. And this is one of the wonderful programs to really bring that out. So this is not only a Ghana problem. It's a worldwide problem. Mm -hmm. Literacy across the board is a worldwide problem. And also literacy in things like STEM and AI and all the other computer-based literacies that we're looking at. Because it's not just I can, read the, I can read the book now. It is I can do something on that computer and I have access and I can understand and I can learn. And so if we don't catch up now, mm -hmm. we may be another 100 years behind. Mm. And so that's why we're doing what uh, the minister calls leapfrogging strategies and innovative and new things. We cannot do the same things we were doing if we want different and better results. So, so, so what, what are the set goals for this initiative? Okay, so what we do is we have something called the 90-90-90 strategy. What does it mean? Uh-huh, perfect. So at the first stage, we want to hit that World Bank uh, 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 threshold. At age 10 or class 4, 90% of any given uh, set of students in a community can read and write, right, at grade level. Then the next 90 means that we're going to have that, that next group will be able to go from JSS to SHS, mm. which is going to be leveraging our free secondary school system. So, right? so first step, the, the, the expectation is that you want to have 90% mm -hmm. of people who currently are unable to read to be able to read by age four, by, by age, age 10, by age 10. 10, class four. Mm -hmm. Second step is that those young men and women, 90% of them will then be able to transition from JSS to SHS. Mm -hmm. And then the last 90, 90% of them will be able to go from SHS through to tertiary. Mm. Now, those of you who are mathematicians will say, Akwabwa, that's not 100%. That's actually 72%. Exactly. Because I started 100 students mm -hmm. at 90, 81, 72. Why is 72 significant? 72 is significant because currently uh, we have 20% as our gross tertiary enrollment, meaning 20% of people who should be in university mm -hmm. are in university. If we can go to 72, we, have, we would be more than triple the number, mm -hmm. and we are already at 20, one of the highest in West Africa. We could become one of the highest in the world. Is this only targeting public schools or every school this, is targeted under this initiative? So the, the, the initiative, the first phase, we were lucky enough to get cabinet approval in uh, 2022. We've been, late 2022, we've been writing the program and going through the process. And it is set to do the initiative in public schools for the phase, for this particular phase, so that we can do the proof of concept, mm -hmm. so we can roll it out completely. So this current scope is that we're in 41 of uh, the 261 districts of the country. We are working with 700 plus communities and five, uh, sorry, yeah, and uh, uh, um, uh, 500, 700 plus schools mm -hmm. and in 500 communities. Mm. And so- Across the country. Across the country. The great thing is that we are in every single region. And what we did is that we created six uh, focus regions mm -hmm. and those were the regions based on the NST. We just used data. We said, where are the places where we either have very huge populations like Asante and Greater Accra, which is one-third of Ghana's population with those two, or uh, where are the places where the scores for the NST are not moving the way we want them to move. So we put a little extra focus there, but every single region has multiple districts and multiple schools within the program. No one in Ghana is going to be cut short out of this process. So, so this is a Ministry of Education program, the implementation agency, is purely... So, it, 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 so, so yes, that's, what I, that's a wonderful mm. question. So, Ministry of Education is not an implementing uh, agency. Those of us at this level, we are policy people. I write policy, we write policy, and then we have our implementers and our agencies. So, the great thing is that we're in deep and complete partnership with GES. 
GES runs our public school system and does that portion for us. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we have NACA. NACA is our curriculum base. So when we are talking about curriculum and doing those things to support reading, they're there. NTC is supporting us with teacher training. We have NACIA who will do an inspection to ensure, they're the regulator, to make sure that GES is doing the right thing, that MOE is supporting them. And then most, perhaps even most importantly, at least within the ministry and the agencies, we have complementary education agency. So we bring out of school children and adult learners into the process. And, and, and I just want to understand that before starting this, you've done your own homework, you've identified the challenges, and then you have solutions to fix them. So the root cause, and how will you be able to address it, such that maybe next time when we meet by yes. the time, the percentage of the reading habit yes. would have gone up. So what one of and so let's do a couple of them. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest issues is making sure that there's a much task time on task mm -hmm. to literacy. We have a very uh, a spread out curriculum even at the uh, primary level. You have a student telling you they're doing 12 classes. But if that student can't read, how then can they use the book to do the technical drawing and the rest? It, right. And so in places that this has worked like Abwase East we have changed the timetable to ensure that there's more time spent on literacy. They've done uh, uh, literacy initiatives like 100 Days of Reading, mm -hmm. where they will change the timetable and even do after school. And this was during the pilot? No, this, for Obwasi, this yes. was on their own. There's some other places that have done it. Okay. So there's some schools, so like when you said, like, have we done our homework? Right. We've watched what districts have been doing on their own, on their own initiative, we say, ah, this is working. So we brought those people to be almost like the technical advisors to ensure that as we do the program, we can see it. So time on task is a huge thing. And then, like we, said, we saw in the video, it's about the community. You see, I know that in my parents' time, and maybe your parents' time too, uh, if, 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 if your family went to the farm, mm -hmm. they would cut some uh, uh, bordier or something like that for, for, your, for, oh, for your teacher. Of course. They were taking care of your teacher, so your teacher would take care of you and spend extra time. Uh, anytime there was any kind of support that was needed, your teacher received it also. And your teacher was so much a part of the family that if they had to chastise you in any way, it wasn't that, it's that this person is trying to support me. So that connection with community, family, even religious leaders. So this program has the chiefs involved, Nananum. We have our queen mothers. We have our imams. We have our Christian religious leaders. We have our traditional religious leaders. All of those people are involved. So those are the two things. Time on task and really giving direct intervention and then bringing the community in to give students a feeling that everywhere you're going, you're going to be surrounded by that literacy. And it doesn't go away. Right. Great. But again, the teacher is at the center of this. Yes. So you, what, you've, you've already trained them or you have special yes, teachers so, for this? So, no, no. So that's the great part. Mm -hmm. So we're leveraging things like our PLCs, our professional learning communities. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a professional learning community on right now, let's say on uh, action reading or whatever it is, that is already happening. So we're going to leverage the training that's happening. And as, as I said earlier, NTC, NTC was their job. They train teachers. Right. And so we're doing the training to the level of everyone involved, like we said. All the community members were also training at the district level and were training at the teacher level. Mm. And another one of our partners is NSS. So NSS is coming in. That's National Service Secretary. National Service Secretary is coming in with, you know, people say, I'm doing NSS and I'm teaching. But now we're actually even giving uh, some of our teachers teaching assistance who are NSS. So that in that room of 45 students, there will be two adults, one fully trained, one who's learning, to even give them more time and energy. Mm. So the teachers are being trained. 
uh, the, the district heads are being trained. PROs came to a training and uh, with us just uh, last week. Even the training officers are, be, are being trained, so we're training the trainers. <laughs> so, so in terms of getting the best possible outcomes, mm -hmm. Has this been integrated into the curriculum or there will be special days for this exercise? So that's the great part about this is that we're working with NACA. And so as we work with NACA and working with GES, we are going to put all these things into the timetable. And so we need to do the pilot study. That is why it's not rolling out in 30,000 schools all around Ghana. We are still making sure that as we integrate these pieces, what will work best? What will we, would need to be changed? And so it's uh, like any other type of thing, we're doing the proof of concept. But what I will say is this, even at the launch, things are looking very, very positive. Right. I've been back in Ghana for two and a half years and I haven't seen an event with so much community engagement mm -hmm. where the chiefs are saying, anything you want, I will do, right? And so now they're making commitments of providing us with housing for teachers perhaps. Or, uh, or other things that are actually going to lead to those outcomes. But like you said, it's about finding out how we fully integrate this system oh. and so that it isn't just a program, but it becomes part of everything we do. And so lastly, we use things like Jolly Phonics and all the other systems that are in place. Mm. I know what you're afraid of and what Ghana's afraid of. Right. When you're bringing something new, you're going to remove something. Mm -hmm. No, we're just adding a little piece to it, right? You have the soup and you need a little bit more spice. <laughs> this is just the spice. Mm. We're not going to make you go eat rice instead yeah, of having it. even better. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I mean, let, let, let's look at it. So, this, as we roll out this plan, not every school will benefit. Not every school, at least for now. Yes, please. So across the country, how many schools are we looking at? So across the country right now, my scope tells me that I, we have, <clears throat> we are in 700 plus schools. 700 plus schools. Yes. In all the 16 regions of the country. Yeah, in total, yes. And how, how, how was the selection done? The selection was done. In fact, we initially, we did applications and everyone told us it wouldn't work. How can you make people apply? How can you make people apply? The schools themselves. Yeah, the district, they're like, they don't apply. Yeah. But we applied by district, 261 districts. You know how many applied? No. 257. Almost all the districts yes. applied. And do you know how many applications we received? No. Not, you would think 257, right? But we had a cluster system. We received over 800 applications. So the participation was great. Everyone wanted to be a part of it. And I, I was shocked that people applied. So we all, we, we took in the applications and then we had our GES people, we had everyone look over and we gave them surveys. We gave them a, like, almost like an exam for it. Mm -hmm. And we went over it. And if you met the, the criteria, the criteria you, you met the criteria, we selected you. And then if you did not meet the initial criteria, we would make, so if you were green, you made it fine. Mm -hmm. If you were amber, we knew what we were doing. If you were yellow, we knew what we were doing and how to support you in that process, right? And so we initially selected over 2,500. And then we looked and said, if we do 2,500, mm -hmm. And we spread 2,500 means 2,500, right? People. If we use from America, so yeah. I understand him. <laughs> if we spread it too far, right? If we spread it too thin, everyone won't get the, 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 the gist. They won't get enough. Right. So then we went down 1,005, and then we broke it down even uh, less. And we said, let's do the 500. But th there's so many communities that are ready for this, that need this. And we gave priority to those communities again and those districts that have struggled on NST. Mm -hmm. It's like... We are not going to say because you did a beautiful application, you did everything wonderful, you immediately we did it. You know what we did? We asked them for pictures. And you know another thing we did? Mm -hmm. We didn't go in blind. We wanted the chiefs engaged, right? So we, we actually took thumbprints and signature of every chief of every community. And if your chief did not sign, 
if your uh, district assembly person did not sign, if your if your if we if your uh, MP did not uh, come in and, and do some sort of endorsement, mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't even let you turn the application in. We wanted it to be holistic. But but again, it also then then the next question will be the advantage the beneficiary schools and students will have as against those who did not call so I, I what is the plan to so, so make it a comprehensive rule that's the whole that's the whole point the whole point is to do this well enough to receive funding obviously and, and in the budget through GOG and then also more funding through our development partners this program is actually being uh, set up by one of our development partners uh, uh, that's been supporting us for the last several years mm -hmm. big win philanthropy right and so as a development partner in this we cannot go to them and say give us a billion dollars we can tell them give us this amount so we can prove to you so we can get more from you mm -hmm. and from others and I don't want us to think of it as well this 500 this thousand this 800 got it and I did not receive anything mm -hmm. we are still giving the baseline of education in Ghana is still rising. The tide is still rising mm -hmm. and is being consistent at that level, and we must do something. So what we need to be happy about is there is a program that is going to support. There's a program that the application process was transparent. Mm -hmm. There was a program that it wasn't politically motivated. Right. Like, and it's a program that will lead to getting all of us engaged in this so that within the next three, four, five, ten years, we will have this as part of what we do forever. There are many things happening in the education system right now that were piloted as a small level mm -hmm. and now are holistically engaged. Sure. You have to give us the opportunity to do the pilots so that we can be holistic. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you, no one jumps directly into it. Right. Before I let you go, yes, so please. what will be the end game and your expectation, let's say after two years? <laughs> two years. So two years is very simple. Two years, our people in class two will go from this 54%, right? to that 90% we discussed because it'll be in class four. Mm -hmm. So if we're going short term, we know that our first group of people that we'll be testing are our current class two people. So yeah, they will be at that 90. In this set of schools, in this set of communities, we're putting forth that effort and they will meet that initial goal for two years. Mm -hmm. But I want us to not do the short term to no goal. Five years, 10 years, 15 so years. When you <laughs> Where's your hometown, if you don't mind me asking? I come from Isuta in the Asante region. Wonderful. I'm from Ekwiansa Eastern region, Brim North, represent. So when I go to Ekwiansa right now, I don't see a, 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 a group, a, a large group of literate, uh, engaged young men and women between 25 and 40. In the next 15 years, the goal is that all of us who left Ekwiansa for greener pastures because there's nothing in Ekwiansa would have gotten our literacy gotten our SHS, have gotten our, uh, our tertiary degrees, mm -hmm. and have come back and built, you can say, that what? Mm -hmm. that, 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 that bank, built, you can say, that new hospital, have put roots there, right. and to make these places thriving places, communities, to thrive again, so that we don't run off to Kumase, Accra, Ho, Cape Coast, Tamale. So that is what I'm saying, that the, the, the community itself will reap the benefits of their own children. Right, because you're working and supporting these young men and women in your community, so they stay there, support you, and if they leave, they will remit, whether in kind, in finances, or with their education. All right, thank you very much, Aaron, and we wish you the very best as you roll out to this reading, or as you still have the reading habit in the Ghanaian. Please, thank and you. Uh, hopefully, maybe in the next year or two, we'll, we'll, we'll come here and do evaluation I, of I the work done so far. Please, I cannot wait. Two years from now, we're going to get these numbers. Right. Thank you so much. All right. All right. So, Aaron uh, Chum, Akwabwa, is director 
of Strategy, Innovation, and also Technical Advisor to the Education Minister. The project is Communities of Excellence, and the idea is to encourage people to read more. And they have set themselves a very exciting target, and is giving themselves medium, uh, short to medium to long, long-term goal. And the idea is that we're going to have a hundred percent, you know, uh, uh, reading sort of percent in terms of people who who will take advantage of this program. Thank you so much for coming. Right, so let's stay a little longer on, 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 on education because more educated Ghanaian women are pushing their childbirth to their 40s. Choice or boarding depression. We'll find out more after the break. This is the pause here on Joy News. Across Africa, a new era has begun. Shifting our focus to a new horizon, connecting us with the one purpose, to create and share opportunities to grow. tomorrow built by our dreams and our energy across our continent across the world we are creating a better way to a better future a pan-african future together ecobank a better way a better africa blessing you know if any good medical school i can take off you to Oh, Fifi, is that why you're looking all moody? Then I have some good news for you. The College of Medicine and Allied Sciences, COMAS, Accra, Ghana, is a degree-awarding institution, and they offer Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery using the Graduate Entry Medical Programs, Bachelor of Diagnostic Imaging, and BSc Health Information Management. All these programs are accredited by GTEC. Their bilingual curriculum prepares you to consult in French. But I'm worried about admissions. Admissions are ongoing contact us on facebook or on instagram at info.comas or call us on 0208-456-556 or send them an email info at comas.edu.gh comas the citadel of a holistic professional medical education daddy daddy this tank is big yes that's true it can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow. It has a working surface on it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I can see S-I-N-T-E-X syntax. That is so true, my daughter. Well, it's further into spiral. That's not true. But why? Hey! Syntex <laughs> was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? 
We've had news file over the weekend and uh, an interesting part of the conversation focused Oh no, we are out of range. Oh, don't worry, Daddy. I have Alex in my bag. Alex what? Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana and play Joy FM. Super Hits Radio, Radio. Joy 99.7. Listen to Joy FM. Hits FM. Love FM. Live on your Amazon Echo. Listen to your favorite multimedia radio stations live on your Amazon Echo device by saying, Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana, play Joy FM or Hits FM or Love FM or catch up on your favorite podcast by saying, Alexa, play and then the name of your favorite podcast from Multimedia Ghana. For a list of all podcasts available, say Alexa. Ask Multimedia Ghana to browse programs. And we are back like we never lost signal. Alexa, welcome to Multimedia. For crystal clear and thrilling podcasts and live shows, download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, MyJoy Online, Amazon services like Echo, Amazon Music, and Audible, Stitcher, Adam Online, Overcast, and Pandora. Take note of everything. Sign up for the multimedia digital platforms now to stay updated.
race to Jubilee House is on. Ghana is at a crossroads. It's time again for the people to choose and the world is watching. So join Joy News as we launch our comprehensive coverage of the 2024 elections and the wide array of election programs carefully designed to empower you, an informed electorate. We will do this because in a nation where every vote counts, every voice matters, there's one name you can trust for your election coverage. Joy News, your election headquarters. From now to January 7, 2025, our team of seasoned journalists will bring you up-to-the-minute updates and biased analysis and the stories behind the headlines. Your election headquarters brings you the launch of Joy News 2024 election coverage on Monday, February 19th from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Live on the Joy FM Super Morning Show, the AM Show on the Joy News Channel and all our social media platforms. The election headquarters for an informed electorate. Joy News, independent, fearless, credible. Bell is not losing sight of one of the main reasons for starting Jakarta, which is to protect the environment, as grain sacks, which could have ended up in landfill sites, are made into useful products. Because so many things in our environment that we need to protect. So we ensure that in doing that, how do we do it? That's the process we're asking. It's to be able to ensure that all design concepts that come out have things that relatively have things out of nature, maybe a leaf maybe um, a tree that has been falling out. Those inspirations come out from there. And then we make the designs based on that. So we actually are looking forward to ensuring that we're not just um, producing products, but producing products that, that save the environment. That's what we're looking at. There is more that can be done with the green sacks. Oak Bell is already exploring new ideas. Jakarta on the Joy Business Fan this Wednesday on TV, radio, online and on ground. Powered by Joy Business and supported by Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank and MTN. What are we doing today? We are back on the pulse. This is Joy News, independent, fearless, and credible. Now, more educated Ghanaian women are pushing their childbirth to their 40s. That's according to the Ghana Statistical Service in the Ghana Demography and Health Survey. Also in that survey, we found out why there is high fertility rate among women in the Savannah region, especially. Now, on your screens are key findings in that report teased out by our research team. So, this is the fertility rate in Ghana. So, as at 1988, the average mother was having 6.4 kids. Now, take it down to 2022, that was reduced from 6.4 to 3.9. From 6.4 in 1998, the fertility rate in Ghana, how many people were having babies, is as reduced from 6.4 in 1998 
to 3.9 in 2022. And so these are the findings, some of the findings that came up today when the Ghana Statistical Service you know, brought to the fore the outcome of their research. But there's also fertility rate in Ghana, regional breakdown. So as you can see, the northeast are 6.6, Savannah 5.8, uh, the north, the northern region 5.6. It goes all the way down to the upper east region 4.6. And again, uh, the greater Accra region came uh, last at 2.9. So, what sense can we make out of this? And let me bring in the Deputy Government Statistician, Dr. Faustina Frimpong Angwa, uh, to break it down for us and to make meaning out of the research findings that the Ghana Statistical Service put out today. Uh, Dr. Frimpong Angwa, thank you very much for joining us here on the post. Thank you for having me. Right, and you are from Savannah, and your, your, your region featured prominently in the outcome so first let me ask you what went into going into this area um thank you so much and then good day to your listeners and so the 2022 demographic and health survey we captured information about women 15 to 49 years these are women in their reproductive ages and Mm -hmm. then men 15 to 59. But for comparison reasons, we cut off that of male as 15 to um, 49. Uh-huh. We need to understand the fertility patterns of women and again know how we are giving birth and what is affecting us and how our lives in general are. So today, the release on the fertility um, results, uh-huh. marriage, and again, knowledge about family planning and fertility um, preferences. Right. So let's, let, let's not deal with the details as captured in a report. And I mean, when, when, when the matter of the fertility issue came up in the newsroom, there was a lot of discussions, you know, back and forth. And the conclusion or the findings was that if you take the Savannah, the Northeast, and the other regions in the, in the Northern region, all the way come down to your two the fertility rate is very high as compared to, let's say, the Greater Accra region. What will be accounted for this? Did the research establish it? Thank you so much. And so, our mandate, we do not establish what accounts for high fertility in those areas. We go out there to solicit information and we produce it just as it has been given. But one of the other areas that we found during the survey was that, apart from telling us that a woman may be in northeast region within her reproductive life, if she follows the current trend of fertility patterns, she will produce um, six children, mm-hmm. or almost seven children, as against somebody living in Greater Accra who give birth to 2.9 children per her reproductive life. Um, the other factors that might come to pass, but the, from the survey, one of the things that we established is that education has a, um, a role in the fertility because we realize that those who have no education were very high in terms of about um, for almost um, five children uh-huh. as compared to those who are um, highly educated who are around um, secondary or higher who had maybe will have 2.5 and so therefore looking at some of these areas in terms of education in terms of um, the wealth um, quintile or socioeconomic status you realize that some of these may be possible but that does not determine why our fertility is so high in there and so the survey did not establish the reasons but we established the facts that this is the trend and the pattern so, will you also say perhaps sex has become 
the main form of entertainment in some of these areas that that that, that may be the, the 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 motivation behind the high number of kids that are coming out from these regions it's not be um wholly the truth or something that we can attribute to but one of the things that we can mention or we can talk about is that a number of factors come to play and so poor areas may not have amenities certain access may not have maybe education that people will go to school to that high level mm -hmm. because when females are retaining school then they delay their fertility so they don't give birth at that early age and so when you look at even from the 2021 population housing census we realize that educational level in these areas we talk about is much lower than those in the southern region and so possible so if they don't have any source of livelihood and other things maybe that would be possible one of the things and again it might be culture but we cannot pinpoint which exactly is driving this but what we know is that education um, world status are uh, driving forces that also um, tell us how the fertility patterns prevail in certain areas. So, so, so in the event that policymakers take these documents, uh, read through, and then want to uh, try and tell them big about some changes in these areas, how, what, what kind of recommendations would you give them in terms of, you know, uh, addressing some of these concerns that you raised? Uh, thank you so much, and so. It's good that when you prepare your meal, somebody eats it. And therefore, mm -hmm. when we change the information, we expect that the stakeholders, um, Ministry of Health, Ghana Health Service, all other stakeholders will also take it on board. For example, we know that when there is no education there, people will tend to marry a bit early. And then, as is expected, when you marry, the next thing we are asking is that the number of children, when are you going to give birth? Right. And therefore, targeted interventions. So we will not ask them they know best what would be the targeted intervention so since we have shown that northeast is the highest as compared to greater Accra, that's two point i don't think that they will put the same strategy in place for greater Accra as they will put in place for let's say northeast or savannah my adopted region and so ministry of health will understand and look at it since we also um shown that educational level those people with lower education tend to have higher fertility than than those who have um um higher education then it's depend on them and they know much the policy makers they know what to do to be able to ensure that if i focus is to bring fertility down in these areas then they will know what they must do in those areas because to be able to bring fertility down it's not just telling people don't have children again are we engaging uh, people uh, younger people in school so that as the longer they stay in school the people are not um, entered into marriage early and therefore they will delay their fertility. If people are gainfully employed and in other activities, going to work, the pressure, maybe don't have too much leisure, therefore you may not decide that maybe I wanted four children, but because of my work nature and then going up and down my childcare, mm -hmm. I think I have no one supporting me and therefore I will limit it. And so I believe that the policy makers will be in the right position to know which policy they might put in place to be able to drive these ones down. But what we want them to understand is that it cannot be one size fits all. It must be targeted depending on the needs of the people in those areas that they didn't fit. And is that the reason why greater crisis at 2.9 before people are focusing their attention on adults rather than, you know, having babies? And no one can really firm it up. Most of our activities are going on in Accra. People go to work, the stress of life, I mean, running up and down, go. That does not mean that you delay your fertility. When we run this one down to other, maybe districts or whatever, maybe they might review something else, but yet we have not done that um, analysis for district. So 
2.9 for Greater Accra may not be the same for maybe Ada East or Ada West in Greater Accra as maybe the Accra metropolitan areas. And so the endowment is also part of it, the facilities is part of it, and then again, access to healthcare, closeness, and again, um, uptake of um, family planning, all these things, because I may want to have children, but if I'm not ready, and I say I want to use um, family planning to delay it, it's a, a means by which I delay it. So it depends on what facilities are available to these people, and whether they know of it, and whether they are using it. And that will also play a role. So I think that the Ghana Health Service Ministry of um, um, Health and then the education and other units will be much better to be able to understand. For us, we have produced the figures. Right. And then my, my final question before I let you go. Another, another issue that came up is about the age bracket within which people, you know, give birth. I mean, for, for, from the research finding, between 25 and 29 is still the preferred age bracket. But a significant issue that came up is about people who are giving birth beyond age 40. Is there a health concern here that, that, that they should be worried about? Thank you so much. And so when you take the reproductive lifespan of an individual for females, it's between 15 and then 49 years. Mm -hmm. When you give birth too early, it has implications for you. Your physiology, physiological makeup is not well developed and therefore you are still a child. So you may not be able to carry um, full term and may have some complications. When you're getting too close to your end of your reproductive life, too, yes, you are grown, the body system maybe might have changed. And so, giving birth too early and too late mm -hmm. is not too good for the individual. And so, I think that the health people will best give us the medical um, um, just a position to it, but then it's not too good for an individual to give birth to so close to your menopausal age because. There, you may have had three children already or four. The more you give birth to more children, you deplete the, um, your physiology, and therefore, you might not be able to recoup. And again, uh, that might result in other things. So that's why when people are ending their reproductive life, they seem to limit it. So that is why in Ghana, what we say is that we see that majority of them are given birth around um, 20 5 to 29, right. followed by um, 30 to 34 years. But, but, but those who are giving birth after age 40, what is accounted for this? Well, the study did not pinpoint what really accounted for it. But one of the things from the findings from the survey, we asked people whether you want another child. And some people said they want a child now. Some said they want it and the future, but they were not decided when. Some say they don't want at all. And some say that they think they cannot give birth again. Mm -hmm. But if you say you want one now, then maybe you prepare yourself to be able to be pregnant. But if you say you want to delay, or you're not ready, or you're waiting for a while, one of the questions that comes that once you say you're not ready and you're still living with your spouse, what are you doing to prevent it? And therefore, if you are not ready and you're still living with your partner and you're not doing anything to prevent it, like family planning or using condom, other things, then when you have an affair with your partner, you will become pregnant. And so, we cannot tell whether it was a mistake, whether they did not use a condom, or whether some people, they are 40, beyond 40 years, but maybe that is the, uh, they've never given birth. And so that's the first child. So, somebody will do everything to be able to own. So, multiple reasons might account for it, but I think that it is the health personnel that will be able to drill it down. This will give them information, and then they'll be able to drill it down to be able to um, pinpoint what exactly is causing people to be able to give birth at that um, other part of their reproductive life. Right. Thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Dr. Frimpong.
Angwa, thank you very much for sharing uh, the research findings with us here on the polls. Dr. Uh, Frimpon, Dr. Faustina Frimpon Angwa is a deputy government statistician, and this afternoon they released the, the demographic study on fertility and family planning in Ghana, covering the period 2022. Now, in the heart of Accra's Opera Square, Nicholas Nunu, a first-class graduate in accounting, demonstrates resilience and hope amidst the struggle for employment in Ghana. Despite the staggering 13.4% unemployment rate, Nicholas has found a unique path to survive, checking the blood pressure of traders in the market. It's story is a testament to both challenges graduates endure and the unwavering spirit that prepared them forward in the pursuit of a dignified livelihood. In a city where academic degrees don't always open doors, the story of a 36-year-old first-class graduate biting hard on the rope of unemployment opened my heart to embrace life in the best way possible. But before I tell you the story of Nicholas, ponder this. What would you do for work if your first-class degree could not earn you a white-collar job? market was my first list of contact that was around 2013 i had only two cities in my pocket and the machines were there but to start was a challenge nicholas is a 36 year old husband and father of one he graduated top of his class from methodist university with an impressive 37 gdp in accounting but for 10 years now, his office has been the bustling market center and his clients traders in the markets. He's not a doctor, neither is he doing the work of a doctor. This is what I've been doing for a living. I take that pressure at a sugar level. I take two cities when checking the blood pressure and then six cities when checking the sugar level. And then this is what I've been doing to support myself as a man in, the, in this economic hardship. I've been doing this way for the past 10 years. I started in 2013, and by then I have not pursued my university program. But it got to a time I realized that my energy was depleting, and I cannot go on doing this kind of job, so I have to pursue a professional development. Hence, I embark on studying accounting at the Methodist University Ghana. Now I've graduated and currently doing my um, chartered accounting program and currently doing level two. And like I said, this is what I've been doing to, sup to support my education when I was at the university, and this is the same work I'm doing to support my professional program. When opportunities are scarce, pride and ego take a back seat. Nicholas chose not to be defeated by unemployment, but to redefine his purpose. Nicholas first got his diploma in business studies from the Center for Business Development in 2013. Due to his inability to land a job, he picked up the sphygmomanometer, the instrument used to measure blood pressure. This work saw him through further education at the Methodist University for a degree in accounting. Nicholas is one of thousands of unemployed graduates in Ghana. Data according to the Ghana Statistical Service indicates that overall unemployment rate in Ghana is 13.4%. Youth unemployment rate, 19.7%. This means two out of ten persons of Ghana's labor force between the ages of 15 and 35 are unemployed. 25% of youth in Ghana are neither in employment, education or training. 
Now, according to economic research from the Institute of Statistical, Social and Economic Research, only 10% of graduates gain employment within a year of graduation. Nicholas is one of thousands whom I wonder how they're surviving. According to the World Health Organization, the burden of hypertension is very high in Africa, where two-thirds of cases are found. One pivotal way to manage the risks associated with hypertension is regularly checking blood pressure and consulting with health professionals. This is where Nicholas comes in, and to these market women, he's a lifesaver. <laughs> Me checking a brinia brinia, say, my test pressure, the pressure across Rabrinia brinia to a banner becheck, mamma, and watch them say a normal and now a court high. This is something she does on a regular with Nicholas and it helps them because they don't have the machines and the resources to constantly be going to the hospital. They are grateful that they get to do this while here at work because it's not everyone who has the means, time and resources to go to the hospital and be checking. As early as 9am, Nicholas began his day and today I had the chance to spend a couple of hours with him. To my best of knowledge, there is no regulation that requires that one must get a license before acquiring a glucometer or a blood pressure monitoring machine. So there are people who, for instance, they may not have the resources to acquire these items. And yes, so they are hypertensive and then they are diabetic. So the rationale behind this is that if there are people out there who can't afford to buy these items or this equipment, why don't I buy them and then do it for a fee? Because for me, I, I don't think there is any regulatory requirement for that. So Sweetie Aboshi brought in that report. Now, before we go, football is most entertaining sport in Ghana and ignites the emotions of the Ghanaian people. Now, following the group stage exit of the senior national team, the Black Stars, and they just ended AFCON in Cote d'Ivoire. A group of Ghanaian sports journalists are preparing to hit the streets tomorrow to demonstrate against the Ghana Football Association. They believe poor management by the GFA is responsible for the poor show by the Black Stars. With me in the studio is Veronica Kome, as far as journalists, to tell us more about the demonstration tomorrow. Veronica, you're welcome. And I've admired you for a long time. It's actually a pleasure to, uh, to, to, to talk to you today. It's an honor From your days on uh, you and Yang Pofankra back in the days, you used oh, to do okay. your sports on GTV. You make me feel so old. Great, great. It's great to have you here. It's good to be here. And last week, you've been very busy. Yes. I've listened to you on CT, on GTV. Make it a point that we need to do something about It's so uh, about important the because yeah. there comes a time. We are saying that this problem we have today is over 40 years. In my lifetime, we haven't won the Nations mm -hmm. Cup. The last time we did was uh, 43 years 1992, ago. 1992, to be precise. Right, to be precise. So a lot of us have been hoping that we get opportunity to lift it, especially because we claim that we are a football nation. Mm -hmm. I think the happenings around the country suggest that we are not a football okay. nation. The truth is that 
the so-called big boys of African football have been found out and there is no hiding place. And that is where we draw our inspiration. If you check the countries that are doing well, what separates them from those that are not doing well is a policy. That is one thing we lack in, in, in the country at the moment. When we took the three or four nations cup in the past, a lot of, or the chunk of it came under Kwame uh, Kwame's leadership. Mm -hmm. He had a plan, he had a policy, he was executing it perfectly. We might not have taken any trophy around the time Ben Kofi was in charge, but he had a five-year development plan right. that made a few changes. Mm -hmm. Since we entered the democratic period where Nyantechi began and we vote for people, everyone will come in with their manifesto and exactly what to achieve. And we are beginning to see that the decline is sharp. And it's only because people have their own interests. Mm -hmm. The kind of interest you see at the, at, the, at the FA is not totally to develop our game. And we are saying that as a nation, it's a good time to have a policy. Mm -hmm. Because when governments come into power, they all have different plans. But as a nation, if we can congregate and say that this is exactly what we want to do, the next five, ten years, or a lifetime, as long as we are here, it will make a huge difference. But again, the, 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 the role of the individuals leading our football is also very important. It is. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when after under 12, under number 12, analysis number 12 expose, Nyantichi gave way, there was normalization committee, and then we instituted a new, a new group led by the current president. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say we had a unique opportunity to make changes. Five years on, we are realizing that we did not tackle all the root causes of the rot we see in our game. The rot that ensures that you will see a very terrible pitch for teams playing on. But when people go to competitions with the black stars, they reward themselves with $100,000 each just by being members of the management uh, committee. committee. Exactly. Yes, management, management committee, committee of the black stars. And then again, when the league is over, the winner is taking home $30,000. Your winner for a Premier League. So there is a systematic problem with our football. We can decide that all is well, but we'll be exposed, just like the Black Stars does at the Nations Cup. We have played 10 games also at the Nations Cup, last three competitions, and we are averaging just a win. So, 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 so the blame is about what? About planning We don't or have leadership? a policy. If we had a good policy, it would make a lot of difference. I mean, in terms of leadership, we could have a conversation as to how the current leadership is performing. But a policy will cure a lot of those. There are those who have the view that, I mean, those in leadership perhaps are not so serious about the, the, the kind of national team that they want to give us. I mean, we went to the AFCOM. Look at how long it took for the GFA, the managers of the, of the team, to apologize to the Ghanaians for that abysmal performance that they gave us. And then the government appears to say, oh, I mean, let the status quo remain. Let's move on with our lives. Because we have had a system where we have managed to let the football people, the few, tell us that you cannot have an interference. I'm asking a few questions. Even when the Zurich government mm -hmm. thought there were problems with FIFA, they entered Of them. course. There were times that a lot of people were arrested in FIFA. And had the FBI neck deep in, a, in another country. And what was, what was it that transparency could not be raised? Government or FIFA understands that there is an element of support that African federations receive from government. So there has to be a collaboration. Right. 
So that is why we are targeting authority from above, its leadership. As long as the president understands that the football ecosystem is down and the football economy can be great, dependent on how we approach it, mm. then we are able to fix it. So what is happening tomorrow? Where, where are you starting the, the work and who are you demanding answers from? Tomorrow we are at the Obras spots. That is where we are starting. Mm. Circle Dubai is what they call it these <laughs> days. We are expecting a lot of people, a lot of Ghanaians to converge there. Then we begin our march. That should take us through some principal streets of Accra. Mm -hmm. We'll end up at some point at the Ghana Football Association, in Parliament, mm -hmm. and also at the Ministry of Youth and Sports. Then finally, we would finish everything at the Independence Square, where government representatives will be meeting us to pick up a petition. And after tomorrow, what next? A lot of things will come, in, will come up for us, this is just the first of many to come. All right. Thank you very much, Veronica. All of us will be there. It's important. To I've demonstrate, of course, of course. So tomorrow, all of us will meet at the, at the Obras Sports. It's Valentine's Day. Let's show our love to, the, uh, to football management in this country by going on the streets and demonstrate against what has come to be established as a poor showing that we continue to be given by the managers and the players and everybody involved with football in this country. But that's it for today's edition of the Pulse. My name is Elton Grobe. See you tomorrow for the midweek edition. Enjoy your evening.